The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so welcome to class five of five weeks on the hindrances. When we, um, this got set up, the idea is, right, there's five hindrances, there should be five weeks. But then as uh, Tanya and I were planning and thinking about this, we thought, well, actually, it'd be really helpful if the first week really laid a foundation on this Bella practice and what are the hindrances. So then that left us four weeks to do five hindrances. So today we're going to talk about two hindrances. And so, um, so maybe... We're going to begin with checking in with how it was last week. Last week we talked about restlessness. And maybe we'll spend a little less time than we have in the preceding weeks just because we have two hindrances to talk about and explore tonight. So last week was restlessness. And um, we sent you off with this idea of, um, of course, to examine how does restlessness show up in your meditation and in your life? And... What can you do to minimize or to support the absence of restlessness? What can you do to soften that? So would anybody like to check in whether or not you were here last week? There's a number of you here that weren't here last week. What do you know about restlessness? What do you know about this kind of unsettled feeling and how it gets experienced and what you can do to support it not arising? Can you use the mic? Yeah. <laughs> Joe, you just had that look on your face, and we knew. I could keep you here all night. <laughs> um, restlessness comes in many forms and driven by many places in my mind. And uh, oftentimes I'm not even aware that's what's driving me. I just know that I'm restless. Yeah. And, you know, and, there, and along with that goes anxiety and... Um, sometimes fear and on top and driving it as well. Yeah. And do you have a sense of what can mitigate or soften or make it less likely that restlessness will arise? Do you have a sense? Well, oftentimes just sitting and meditating uh, will soften it. But it doesn't entirely go away because I'm driven by so many things that are you know, responsibilities that I've taken on that create this cloud and this um, sense of being overdriven. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes uh, it will, may require some shifts in our life, right, until restlessness can really uh, settle down, which is not a small thing. Thank you, Joe. Great, Peter? yeah. Something I learned about restlessness that was helpful for me was not to fight it completely. Um, I found that um, biking has become my main kind of meditation. Um, this week, when I found sitting was just really hard, I just felt like I have to get go- have to get up, have to get going, have to do this, have to do that. And I found that um, to force myself to sit there was. Uh, might have had some value, but I found that when I was moving, you know, walking, w- walking meditation, 
used to not be my favorite, but I found out when I'm, when I'm, um, or biking, when I found them this week when I was biking, uh, I was able to very easily um, be in a kind of more concentrated, more um, relaxed and meditative state. So that was helpful for me. Yeah, I think this is a, a practice in itself to learn, okay, when do we stay, even though we feel like doing anything but staying, we so much want to get up out of our seat, and when do we like, okay, I need to get up and do something else. This is part of the practice to learn, right? When, when is it? And there's value for both. And we can learn a lot about ourselves if we are able to stay, just to notice how much aversion we may have to being with the difficulty or the thoughts that go when we're feeling uncomfortable or things like this. But it can also be counterproductive if we're in a huge struggle and then we're just like exacerbating any feelings of unsettledness. So, yeah. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Do you have something you want to say, Tonya? Um, I, 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 my kind of mind has been thinking a little bit about just sort of what are the five hindrances and how do we understand them, right? And I think it applies to, um, you know, sort of, I guess, just for people who haven't been here, there's, um, you know, craving or desire for sense pleasure, there's ill will and intention to harm or aversion, not wanting. And then there's... um, uh, sloth and torpor which we're talking about tonight there's restlessness and worry which we talked about last week kind of these pairs sloth and torpor one in the body one in the mind same with restlessness and worry one in the body one in the mind and then the final hindrance the fifth which we'll also talk about tonight is is doubt and um, I think it's really helpful to step back just for a second and think about how do we want to relate to the hindrances how do we want to understand what they are in our lives so that when we see them, we don't just see this thing that is a hindrance, right? But we understand that it has a function in some way or that it's affecting us and our ability to see clearly. So some of the thoughts or ways to think about hindrances are, first of all, that it's really not personal. So with some of these hindrances, especially the things that we get tied up in around them, we can take it very personally. We can really identify with a belief or a thought that's tied up in a hindrance and feel um, like it's, it's a very personal thing when, in fact, it's really just rooted in this particular view, right? So in, the, in terms of a view, like thinking about um, colored lenses, a way of looking at things that that changes. If you have pink lenses on, it changes how you see. So there was somebody here the first night and we were talking about lenses and he had this great story to tell, which was that he had worn, um, I think there were red lenses that day, pink or red lenses of sunglasses. He'd just gotten them. And he was riding, driving through town and eventually he realized he couldn't see the green lights because the color of the lenses changed what he could see. And that's sort of what happens when we have a hindrance, right, in our mind and we're looking through it, is that it changes what we see. We can't recognize what's really going on in front of us. There are also um, 
sometimes, uh, you know, strategies that are probably rather unhelpful, but they're strategies nonetheless to help us cope with difficulty or a situation that we're, we're struggling with. Um, so an example of that is um, that if, we, if we're hurting and we want to feel better, we might want ice cream, right? It's, that's a very simple version of it, but it's really easy to relate to, right? So the craving or the wanting of a sense pleasure um, can be a way that we start to relate to this pain or this discomfort, and um, we just want to make it feel better, right? Um, and most importantly, I think, um, they're really actually important for our practice. So I, I, because I've been, you know, thinking about this, I heard both Gil and Andrea in two separate talks essentially say, you know, don't rush to get rid of a hindrance. Don't think you have to push it away and get on with your practice. But rather, it is the practice. It is the way, right, to see it to see it and to practice wisely with it. So it's a, it's a different way to think about it, but um, that it's, it's like to see the hindrance in itself means there's mindfulness present. There's wisdom and clarity present. present. So um, to kind of finding some way, one of these ways or your own way of how you want to reference a hindrance, the hindrances, I think is, can be very supportive for your practice. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is a quote by um, Jane Hirschfield, and it's, um, suffering leads to beauty the way thirst leads to water. So, to me, the hindrances are suffering that can lead to great beauty, tremendous beauty. So when I see them, I have the clarity, and it brings energy, arouses energy and and hope and inspiration. Because I know that if I can keep seeing them, not through them, that there's freedom there, that there's possibility. Yeah. So, um, having said that, does anyone want to say anything else about this restlessness and worry before we move to doubt? Mary, did you want to say something? <laughs> Take the microphone. Um, I, I think with the restlessness is uh, really wrapped up in doubt, and um, doubt has a lot of a lot of flavors to it, for lack of a better mm. word. And so, my particular doubt is not. I, I don't doubt the practice. I mean, it's so great. I don't doubt it, but I doubt myself. I doubt myself. Am I able to do this? I'm, oh, I've never been able. All of that stuff. And when I 
am. I mean, this is what's so weird about it. Doubt has, I mean, it, you know, it, it it's, uh, gives you the left hook. <laughs> because um, when I do find something that, gosh, this is good. This is, I can really stay focused on everything. I always feel like, oh, this is too easy. It doesn't count. Mm-hmm. It doesn't count. And that's how, that has been how I've been feeling about uh, the body scan. I, I have lived with the body scan under, for many, many reasons. When I started out, it was with John Kabat-Zinn, and all I could think of was, he says it's going to relieve pain. And so that's what it was, because that's what I really needed. I was really, really sick. And then, I mean, it really worked. It really worked, and I thought, oh, okay, fine. But I never connected it with mindfulness or concentration. I just connected it with, this is easy, so it doesn't really count for anything else. So I've had to just keep reminding myself, because that's what I turn to when I am trying to focus on my breath, and it's like, okay, Two, that was not bad. Okay, and the whole time I'm talking to myself. Three, that's not bad. Every once in a while, it can be really quiet, but not for long. I think, okay, I'm just going to do the body scan, even though it doesn't count. <laughs> and it it just calms me down. I'm really aware of what's going on, and it it isn't a lot of times it's pain, but I don't focus on relieving pain. I just focus on now. I see. What I'm identifying as pain is simply the body sensations, you know, the prickling, the moving, the twitching, the this, the that. And so that's that's the kind of stuff I struggle with. And the restlessness is interwoven in all of that, mm-hmm. in all of that, mm-hmm. you know. So, so um, but it's really nice to now begin to see that the body scan, even though I love it and I can do it, it counts. Yeah. <laughs> it counts. Nice. I'm so happy to know that. Nice, Mary. <laughs> I'm so glad you decided to share. That was such a great, uh, relevant share. Two things I want to highlight. One is um, that you know one of the invitations in the homework was to sort of see what things you can do before you sit or sort of as you start to sit that help you settle or bring the right amount of energy. And it sounds like the body scan is a huge support, right? So that's such a great teaching, right? Right there. Yeah. You know, and it is the practice. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for saying it again. (laughs) And the other thing is it's such a great transition to the topic of doubt. And I really appreciate your kind of pointing out how much it, you know doubt plays a role in sort of the you know the arising of hindrances and particularly maybe restlessness and worry you know um, yeah so thank you thank you so you doubted whether you had something <laughs> of value to share and you you shared and it was of great value <laughs> So this is like, how do we recognize that, oh, doubt is, you know, says these things to us, you know, yeah. whispers in our ear, and 
wants to have us hold back or we halt or we can't decide what to do. You know, we start one practice and we abandon it and we go to another one or we don't practice at all because we think we can't do it. These are all hallmarks of, of doubt, right? The hindrance of doubt. Yeah. I didn't even think of tonight as being a doubt, but it, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was like, I just, oh, my God, I just talk too much. So just be quiet, you know. But it was doubt of whether I had anything of value to share. Yeah. 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 And that's probably the most um, dangerous form of hindering doubt is it causes us to question our capacity uh, to do the practice, mm-hmm. right? So the the main... There's, there's different kinds of doubt, right? There's questioning doubt, which can be, lead to actually helpful clarification and energizing of our practice and reading and searching. And then there's hindering doubt, which you know, causes us to question ourselves and our capacity, um, question the teaching and the teacher, right? And so this hindrance left unchecked actually is the one that will um, prevent us from practicing more than any other. So it's a very um, dangerous hindrance from that perspective, right? Really important to um, recognize when it's happening. So we'll spend some time tonight sort of kind of helping you connect with what the experience of doubt is, right? So that you can recognize when you've put that lens on. Right? And it's a hard one to see for yourself because if you think about it as a lens, it's like um, it's darkness. You can't see. There's no light. And um, so that's where when you recognize it, that's a moment of light. Right, You could see it. And so the more we can sort of find ways to help ourselves learn. I notice that for me, if I pay attention to the things in my body, the sensations in my body, they help me notice, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. I might not know it consciously, but the body is manifesting, and, and doubt manifests in our body in a lot of different ways that can help us. And then noticing if we're really, I can't decide what to do. If we keep avoiding starting because we're not sure where to start, like, oh yeah, that's a symptom. <laughs> Right? That's a symptom of doubt. So I just want to ask you to reflect on some... I'm just going to say these things. I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to check in with your body and notice sort of what, what do you feel in your body as I ask these sort of questions. And the first questions, they're really, you know, about this doubt thing. So, you know, how do you feel emotionally when you are doubting? Just sort of check in. Just sort of call to mind, just like, what does it feel like emotionally when you're doubting? And then what happens in the body? What does your body do when you're doubting? And then how does doubt, when it's present, influence your behavior? And how does doubt influence your intentions? 
our intentions. And to help you contrast a little bit, think about confidence. How do you feel emotionally when, when you're confident? Right? What happens in your body when you feel confidence? When you're confident, how does that influence your behavior? And how does confidence influence your intentions? My intention is to be kind, right? So to, to, my intention is to try and meet people with kindness. So when I approach them, to try and be kind, right? Or my intention is to do my homework today, right? Or my intention is to live a life from the heart. Those are all intentions. So we can have short-term intentions with um, in, in a task in mind and maybe for me I like to if I'm going to do my homework today I want to do it in a kind way <laughs> for myself right so and there's intentions around sort of how we want to live our life and our aspirations my intention is to become free right so does that help Mary okay yeah Yes, and I think it's important to pay attention to how we want to do our activities. That's part of intention setting, too. So, could you feel in yourself, could you see in yourself in these reflections the difference between a confident mind and a doubting mind? Could you recognize that? Yeah? Everybody? Yeah? 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 Okay. Good. All right. So let's see. I think uh, just one final thing I'll say, and actually two things. One is doubt is very interesting. Um, it can manifest. People can report feeling really hyped up, anxious, unsettled, un, you know, unstill, you know, vibrating, or they can feel paralyzed, immobilized, stuck. Ugh. So there's just, it's a complex thing how it can manifest. So it can really show up as like lots of energy or no energy, right? Um, and it can show up in a fiery way and it can show up in a deflated way, right? So it's just, it's, it's very interesting to start to notice all of its flavors, all of its flavors. And then the Buddha said that there is one sure way to inspire doubt to arise and then to continue it, and that is by paying attention unwisely. So unwise attention more than anything else, 
will cultivate doubt and sustain doubt. Unwise attention. Wise attention, right, will help us not fall into, you know, this pool of darkness and cloudiness and doubtness. And so wise attention involves sort of seeing things from the perspective of the Four Noble Truths, right? From, from noticing suffering. Notice suffering. Pay attention to the suffering, not the belief that fuels the suffering, but the suffering itself. Does that make sense? So that's a very, you know, brief little thing that has a lot behind it, but... Um, I think it's time for a guided meditation. What do you think, Diana? I think that I'd like to add uh, maybe two things to what you said, Tanya. Great. One is that something that is very implicit that to what, you, what you've said, but I'd like to make it explicit, and that is the opposite of doubt or to work with doubt is not faith. We're not saying, oh, just believe or something like that. Instead, the opposite of doubt is investigation like oh I'm unsure I don't know well let's see what can I learn you can either investigate what's the experience of like not knowing having vacillation hesitation uncertainty if you're having doubt about I don't know should I be doing mindfulness meditation should I be doing loving kindness meditation should I should I sit with my legs this way that way should I sit in the morning or in the evening if you find yourself having this do little experiments. Try one thing, see how it is, and do something else. So in this way, if you notice that you have doubt, it's a kind of an invitation to roll up your sleeves and just kind of dig in and, and discover for yourself some of the answers. Or to go talk to a teacher or somebody else who practices or read a Dharma book or something like this. So... I just wanted to kind of be explicit about that. In this tradition, it's not just, oh, have faith or believe. It's more, no, you're being called to apply a little bit of effort and energy so you can find some answers or better understand the questions. And then the second thing I'll say that also I'll make explicit what uh, Tonya and Mary were talking about is that... um, the hindrances, they, we're talking about them like as if one is kind of this uh, hermetically sealed mm-hmm. event, but they often can arrive in a big cluster. We can have a, like a storm of hindrances, like, oh my gosh, I have so much aversion for this and desire for that, and I'm so restless, I can't sit here, right? So, and I don't think I can sit here, I will throw doubt in there as well. So you don't necessarily have to know exactly which hindrance is there. Use the one that's most easiest for you to access or understand or feel. You don't have to be precise if you're not sure. It doesn't matter. Just work with what's obvious and what's showing up. And so maybe I'll use that as a segue into this guided meditation. For the purpose of the hindrances, we've been using a particular tool to work with it. You don't have to use this tool. Um, It can be a nice way to support you. You can use different steps of this tool that's helpful and leave the other ones behind that aren't helpful. And this tool uh, gets abbreviated as BELLA. B-E-L-L-A. B is for B. Just be with what's happening. 
allow it to be there. E is for examine, just as Tanya asked us to see how is it in the body, how is it in the mind. L is to lessen. There may be some antidotes that can be applied. There may be some reflections that can help lessen it. The second L is let go as best you can. Hopefully maybe you could have created the conditions for some letting go can be. And then the A is for appreciate the absence or appreciate the, yeah. So just as uh, Tanya asked us to think, well, what's the difference between confidence and doubt? Sometimes noticing when a hindrance is absent can really help us understand what does it feel like? What's the experience to have the hindrance? Sometimes it's the comparison that uh, makes it the most uh, obvious to us. So I'm going to walk us through this Bella practice uh, with this guided meditation. And uh, we'll do this with doubt. So we'll begin by taking an alert, upright posture. And let's start with just three long, slow, deep breaths. Perhaps with the exhale, you can feel some softening, relaxing. You can allow the breath to come to normal and trust that the body knows how to breathe. We don't have to do anything special. And to help us settle down, settle in, can do a body scan. Just check in with the sensations in the face, the forehead, the eyes, the jaw. See if there's any obvious tension that can be softened. We don't have to make it go away. Just see if we can Lessen a little bit. Check in with the neck and the shoulders. We often hold tension there. And the back. What about the chest and the belly? And the hips? You can feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body, allowing yourself to feel supported, grounded. Check in with the legs. The feet. In 
in the hands, allowing them to be relaxed. If you're finding areas of your body that has tension, tightness, see if you can just be okay with that. Bring some ease to that sensation of unease. We don't have to make it be different. And then to help us continue settling, you can rest your awareness on the sensations of breathing. Or if you'd like, you can continue to do a body scan. So you can rest your awareness on the movement of the abdomen or the movement of the chest or the feeling of air going in and out of your nose. Choose one of those three, whichever is the most accessible, the easiest, and rest your awareness there on the movement. If you find your mind has wandered off, it doesn't have to be a problem. Just very gently bring your awareness back to the sensations of breathing. find yourself lost in thought, you can just begin again, very simply. See if you can give yourself over to the sensations of breathing. Right now, there's nothing else to do, nowhere else to be. We're just here, now.
So to help us work with the hindrance of doubt, can you bring to mind a simple, easy memory, or perhaps you're experiencing it during this meditation, of being uncertain, unsure, about how to meditate, when or where, or perhaps which practice. That feeling of vacillation or hesitation. Or maybe you've had some doubt about your own capability, your own capacity to do this practice. bring that to mind and see if you can just be with the doubt not making it go away or just acknowledging it it might be really helpful to use a little note doubt Can you just be with the doubt rather than get lost in it, believing it? Most likely it's a thought. Can you just notice, oh, here's a thought. And then After being with doubt, you can examine. How does it feel? How does it feel in your body? Is it agitating? Or is there collapsing of the energy? You may feel it in your mind with a quick thoughts, or you may feel it kind of a slow, dense, foggy feeling. It can be helpful to distinguish between doubt as a hindrance and healthy questioning doubt. Doubt as a hindrance often leads to inaction and giving up. Whereas questioning doubt leads to investigation, supports curiosity, engagement, a liveliness. So what is your experience of doubt? And then to lessen the doubt, it can be helpful to note it as doubt. 
Doubt often masquerades as wisdom. But if we can just say, oh, this is doubt, that often helps take the power, the authority, away from these thoughts. And can we relax into that clarity of like, oh yeah, this is doubt. It can be helpful to bring your awareness to your body, relax. And then to help let go of doubt. It might be helpful to reconnect with something about the practice that inspires you. That supports your practice. Makes you happy about it or relaxed about it. Letting go may also be supported by getting some clarification. What is it really that you have doubt about? Is it the teachings? The teachers? Or about yourself? It can be really helpful to gain some clarity. mentioned this can also really be supported by cultivating a sense of confidence. We're not talking about arrogance, just a recognition of what you can do. Can you consider this and feel happy about it? notice that there has been any lessening, any softening, or maybe the doubt has arisen and passed away, can you appreciate the absence or lessening? Can you notice a little more spaciousness that's available without that doubt? It may gladden the heart in some way. that may even encourage you to rededicate your efforts to practice. Not with striving, maybe your commitment to practice is a better way to say it.
And then to end this meditation, feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Take a moment just to reflect over your meditation. What, what was clear to you as you practiced with doubt? Anybody want to share any reflections from using Bella? Ciao, Bella. Hello, beautiful. <coughs> Do you mind just picking up the mic and turning it on and handing it on and just seeing if anybody feels moved to speak into it? Uh, so I noticed when you started talking about um, just starting meditating, I was like, should I keep my legs down? Should I keep them up? And then... Um, you know, when you're like, you can watch your breath or you can watch your body sensation. It was like, it's always been a thing in my practice. I do both. So I wonder when I should switch from one to the other. I guess there are always these tiny moments. And then sometimes there are bigger ones. When if someone tells me about some other Buddhist practice they're doing, I'm like, oh, is that like, will that make more sense? Or will that be more useful to me? So I guess I experience it a lot. But I, I'll be more open to realizing it now. Thank you. It feels so peaceful here, being able to go through the med guided meditation. I feel like a few areas of you know, tension in my body is gone as I am doing the scanning. Sometimes I feel that the real world out there could slow down. <laughs> just to match this level of meditation so I could respond to it the same way that my body is responding to this kind of meditation. Sometimes it's hard to adjust with the fast pace out there to kind of control the reactions, emotions, the doubt, and everything else that you go through. I guess with practice it becomes easier, but it's like it's a different world out there. <laughs> And it's sometimes hard to adjust. Mm -hmm. So notice if you have doubt in your ability to bring the practice into your life. That was nice. That's, that's a good observation. <laughs> and that's another form of looking at it. But then also I noticed that in many areas of my life, I feel I'm okay. I don't have that much doubt. But from time to time, on certain topics, the doubt has come back and surfaced, and I'm hoping with repeating this Bella, you know, meditation, I get over those. Um, I think doubt, fear, and all of that can eventually turn into confidence with more practice. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Just go ahead and pass the mic, and hands can pass to more hands, and 
can pause where it pauses. Yeah, also a sort of doubt is to see, um, to try to let go of the doubt, but not having, having gone there yet, right? So it was an attempt and it's just the beginning. So I feel it's, mm. it's kind of self-reflective a little bit. It's just an observation. Yeah. Yes, it definitely can have a, a role, and it, we don't necessarily have to make it go away. But if we can notice, oh, this is doubt, then just the power, the authority of it gets diminished. And that can be enough maybe to help us see around it. We don't have to make it all go away, but just soften it maybe. So that's all how we start, that's how it begins. Um, Gil uses um, an analogy of, you know, mindfulness, seeing doubt, is um, like taking a flashlight, right? And it's a small flashlight and looking into a closet, a dark closet. But there's that little glimmer, right, of seeing. Oh, there it is. And that every time you come back to the closet with the light, the light gets brighter, Right, And so in the beginning, mostly what you see is the darkness, right? And just maybe this little pin light that only lights up a little bit. But over time, what happens is the light gets brighter and you see more and you see more. And then you don't see the darkness anymore. You see the brightness, the light, right, over time. For me, with doubt, I was doing Bella through this process and where it really gets amplified is when I'm sleep deprived Mm. and sometimes it exacerbates it to a point that um, it becomes just like a, a hamster wheel it just keeps going and going and going and it's really hard to find a way to stop that. It's a continuing cycle for me. Yeah, everything's a little bit more difficult when we're sleep deprived. Yeah. But can you maybe soften the idea that it has to be different? Like, okay, this is how it is right now. It's difficult and this, this feeling. Yeah, I, I suppose I can. Mm-hmm. And I've, I have done that too. Because it is what it is sometimes, and you just let it run its course. It, it'll, there'll be sleep eventually. But exactly, yeah. instead of making it a problem, it shouldn't be this way. You know, this yeah. like okay, I'm sleep deprived, and this is what it feels like. I, my mind is like this. My body is like that. Great. So, Mary, when you're done, can you get the microphone behind you? Thank you very much. This is my first time here at this class, so thank you for the discussion. And especially on doubts, this is the one hindrance for me that's really, I mean, a particular kind of hindrance um, that I can't seem to understand. Um, so part of my experience with doubt is, um, unlike other hindrances where it feels like obviously a hindrance in a way of like, oh, restlessness or ill will, it's like, oh, that's a problem. Doubt for me has this other aspect of like, it's a good thing. And I noticed that I become like addicted 
to doubting to where I'm just like constantly pressing like this detonate button where it's just like, okay, we have some kind of ease, some kind of like comfort. Well, it's just like press the button because like what if it's really not that and what if it's actually just an illusion? And so I'm constantly like doubting the flip side of the doubt. Um, but so, that, so yeah, there's like this weird territory of it being, yeah, like a helpful thing of like, well, investigation and inquiry. But on the other hand, there's like this corrosive side that I can't seem to really be untrapped from or by mm-hmm. because it has this other positive aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, I'm wondering how to like uh, wield doubt in that helpful way as opposed to entrapping myself in this place of constant restlessness and anxiety <laughs> yeah um, if that makes sense any sense at all I don't tons of sense okay. yeah yeah because I mean, in the Rinzai tradition there's that phrase of great doubt great that's awakening different. And, that's different okay yeah totally <laughs> but at least there's a some discussion of it being a positive thing in another tradition but I don't know I'm just trying to understand what exactly that positive side is that maybe is understood in some traditions or elsewhere and then this other negative um, enslaving aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to speak to this? Yeah, a few things to say. One is, I can appreciate what you're saying, right? Because doubt feels, seems like wisdom so much. So how can we tell what is wisdom and what is doubt? And maybe, I love this word that you said, you're kind of like detonating. If it has a feeling like, oh, I'm kind of destroying things or something like that, that can help. But maybe one way to reframe it, instead of trying to get rid of doubt or make it different, what if you doubt more? What if you doubt more such that you doubt your doubt? (laughs) You just like, oh, okay, there's these thoughts arising. Oh, maybe this, I don't know what this is. Is this doubt? Maybe. So instead of, like, you're right now, which is such a common experience, these thoughts you believe and think are true and these other ones uh, aren't true. But maybe you can just question all of them a little bit. Like, I'm not exactly sure. Instead of holding on, you know, to some is true and others not true. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so the... The positive doubting is actually maybe not dividing it up, but wholeheartedly, completely doubting as opposed to wondering if it's some other kind of... Like, I feel like my problem is that I'm divvying up kind of the doubting into a bad one and a good yeah. one, whereas maybe just full wholeheartedly do it without wondering if it's good or bad. So, and so how this would feel or look at just be like a thought would arise, like, oh, there's a thought, and you would allow the thought to go away without getting involved in it, this is true, this means this, it doesn't mean that, you would just allow the thought to arise and pass away. That's how, right? And I'm not saying this is easy to do, this does take practice, but it's a way to not hold on to a thought and say, oh, oh, this is true, and therefore it means something, or rather means that uh, I'm unsure how to do this, or... Yeah, great doubt is a little bit different in this tradition. We're talking about doubt as a hindrance, but... Um, yeah, so just not getting stuck on any particular thoughts. So I might um, just add, I don't know if this would be relevant for you or not, but what I've seen too is that um, sometimes there's a belief um, or a self-protective mechanism that fuels doubt, um, fear that you'll get duped, 
um, or an attachment to being really smart, <laughs> getting it right, figuring it out. Um, so kind of becoming a little bit sensitive to, huh, what's, you know, like, what's this itch, right? This sort of thing that wants to keep pushing the bomb. Like, what's, what's the thought, oh, like, that is going into that movement, right? And it might be fear, and it might be, you know, like, the sense that there's something better, you know, or just to really pay attention to sort of what is fueling this. Right, um, and the other thing I would say is that we get there is a part, a function in the mind that's job is to be checking, like that's called the checker. Check, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? Is this the way it's supposed to be? Just like this constant questioning, and um, there's not much peace there, if any. <laughs> right, and so. If you start to notice, you know, what this action feels like, what this constant questioning feels like, um, to me, this is where, like, oh, suffering. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is suffering. I can, oh, yeah, here I go again and again. And that helps me not want to go here again. And then the other thing is to train the mind, to encourage the mind to do the A, the appreciate in the Bella, to appreciate and savor the moments of peace and clarity, right? To, to really appreciate the absence or the lessening of hindrances that that also, I think, can take some of this energy and turn it into more of this. So. Thank you. Yeah. So, if it's okay with everyone, can we shift now? Does it feel like an okay time to shift and we're going to do some small groups? Or does anyone have something they really want to share or ask? Okay, I think that's an okay to shift then. So uh, what we want to do is um, create groups of three. And I encourage you to be with people you don't know if you're willing to. And uh, otherwise, feel free to be with whoever you want. And maybe just sort of move around the room so that you have a little space between the groups. So um, go ahead and I'll just let you get settled and, you know, maybe move off and get into these groups right now if you don't mind. There's going to be one group of four. I'll go get one up. Great.
So here are your instructions. There'll be one speaker at a time and two or three listeners at a time. And so as a listener, your job is to listen with your whole body, receptively. And as a speaker, your job is to allow yourself to just share what's coming up for you without worrying too much about how you make sense or don't. But rather to pay attention again to the experience and what's arising for you and what wants to be shared. And the first question um, is, how does doubt affect your behavior? And, you know, you might want to give some thought to that in both your life and in your practice, right? So how does doubt affect your behavior? And so the speaker will speak for um, two minutes or so, and I'll ring the bell, and I'll invite some silence, and then we'll shift to the person, you know, clockwise, next person, and then the roles will shift. And... um, So the person that will speak first in your group is going to be the person with the most hair. All right, go ahead, please. Speaker and listeners, take your positions, take your roles, embody your experience, and share. How does doubt affect your behavior in the practice and in your life? Would be willing just to sort of give a little report out or summary about sort of what happened. Um, Mary, you've got both microphones. Would you mind would you mind picking them up and getting them dispersed if you don't want to speak into one of them? Boy, this is I doubt if I can really <laughs> shed any light on what happened here. Um, well, it was an interesting discussion, and I think we had three different points of view and experience with uh, our doubts. Richard has a, being a long-time practitioner, has a better handle on doubt where they just don't seem to come up for him. Mary, on the other hand, has some doubts with, uh, well, I forget now. Uh, immobilization. Immobilization, yeah. And that, the doubt immobilizes her. Me, in our, in our group, I express the fact that doubt is a challenge for me. I, I don't let it get in my way. I mean, even when I'm tired, there's doubt there, but I keep telling myself I can do it, and I just barrel through whatever it is. So there's these three different experiences and how, how we deal with it. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Maybe pass the microphone behind you to that group. Mm-hmm. 
Is the microphone on? I'm not sure that we can. There I go. Okay, thank you. Hello, hello. Thanks. I think it was a good thing that us three got together because it's our first classes of this, you know, five hindrances. Yeah. Um, I think I started off when we talked about doubt, I wasn't sure if we were talking about doubt in your life, in your history, your past, and then I couldn't really understand the doubt or is the doubt in your practice, in your meditation. So, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember me, but I come periodically, and every time I leave here, I was explaining I'm really relaxed, feeling good, but this is the first time during the guided meditation when you said doubt. I was like, I haven't heard that word in a while. Mm-hmm. And I, the flashlight analogy that you gave, it was almost like, all my years in my life, I was just scanning through, like, oh, wh- wh- when did I ever doubt myself? You know, like, in which instances? And then, can we share our own? You don't have to record yeah. exactly what happened. You can just, what was meaningful or... We're talking about doubt in practice and that Hold the you go away... You go away and you don't come back and why don't you do it? And I, I gave the example of I was coming for quite regularly for a long time and I just kind of dropped off. And I was sitting in the doctor's office waiting for her to come in and I go, I feel really calm. Is this how normal people feel? <laughs> I, my mind's not racing. I feel relaxed. I feel happy. My blood pressure was really down when she took my blood pressure. And I go, so where's the doubt in that? Where is the doubt? There's, there's zero doubt that this is a beneficial thing. Mm. So why am I not here? Mm. But I did give the example that I'm lucky enough to have someone in my life that when I have my doubts and I store them all up and then I just like let them out in the floodgate and I have someone who's very rational and goes, okay, well, let's look at each one of these. Let's go through these. And we were talking about how, how can someone else do it for you and you can do it for them but you can't do it for yourself. Mm. What I think, is that? Yeah, that's part of the the characteristic of doubt, this hindrance, is that it's very hard to see for yourself. It is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Thank you so much. So we could just, you know, not everybody has to speak in each group, so it's fine. One, can you pass it over to these guys? Oh, you got it? Okay. Um, in our group... I guess collectively I can summarize it to be that as a result of experiencing doubt, a lot of us experience um, some sort of a self-destruction, some type of a cloud over our heads, um, not performing the way that we want to perform in different situations, and sometimes feeling like other people are negative towards us. Did I cover it all? <laughs> I think I tried, you know, to cover the highlights of all the discussion. Um, I'm going to let other groups talk, but I do have some questions at the end I want to ask. So yeah, we'll stick around afterwards. So okay. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> the end of the line. <laughs> I doubt I can do this. Um, so uh, we had a, a lovely sharing, and uh, we shared different aspects of doubt, um, some about our life, 
uh, and some about the way that feels. Um, shared some of the same, I think I would use some of the same adjectives that that group did, the sense of cloudiness, the sense of um, the way, the, the emotions that it brought up for us. Um, I think for, for me, what I sense from sharing with, with, with our group was a sense of the, um, the impersonality of this stuff. You know, as, we, as you were saying before, I mean, I kind of, I, we, we were sharing at the very end what we learned from one another, and we all felt what each other felt, you know, so it wasn't, and that was helpful, <laughs> just yes. to get that, that affirmation that this stuff is um, universal, maybe, and um, makes it feel a little um, less ominous to... Uh, to address. Mm, that's a great note to... Yeah. Else? Maybe I'll just say, it doesn't mean that we're failing. It doesn't mean we don't know how to meditate. It means that we're human. This is part of the human experience, these five hindrances. Thousands of years ago, they were talking about this. We're still talking about it because it's what humans do. It's what our minds do. So I'm going to quickly introduce one more hindrance. But this one may be not so unfamiliar. Sloth and torpor. These may not be words that are in your vocabulary, not in my vocabulary. Sloth is this idea of this heaviness in your body, tiredness, droopiness, like, oh. It's kind of that feeling, weariness. Torpor, the same kind of feeling, but in your mind. Like this jello, I can't quite land on any objects if you're trying to meditate, or you can't quite settle down, your mind feels foggy, or uh, maybe some confusion, or something like that. So sloth and torpor, often these are, um, are um, discussed together. There's a number of obvious things that can um, be uh, cause these or have conditions for these to arise. But maybe, and the obvious one, right, is lack of sleep can make us feel tiredness. But what's interesting about sloth and torpor is it isn't necessarily that we don't have energy. It's that we don't have access to the energy. That is, if we could change our mindset if we could look at things differently energy can arise and uh, the obvious example is um, Gil gives this example of when uh, he was a kid that I really like Mm because I have a similar experience of having to go clothes shopping oh my god do we really have to go to one more store you know that kind of feeling he describes he doesn't use that exact language in that whiny voice but he's complaining to his mom but then when his mom said Oh, let's go get some ice cream. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden there's energy and let's go do that. Right? So that's just like a, an example of that it's just our mindset that means that we don't have access to the energy. So some things that um, can that create the conditions for this also is resistance. There may be something really uh, deep in us that doesn't want to see what we just saw, a little flicker of something. And somehow collapsing energetically is a way to just not deal with it. 
There can be some wisdom in that. There may be sometimes when we just aren't quite ready to see things or meet things. But it can also be just a way to avoid what's happening. And I'll say that for me as a practitioner, this happened to me a lot, that I would kind of collapse energetically when I would come up with um, some difficulties. So just one way to see when you feel like, oh, I just can't, I just, there isn't enough energy, just check in to see, oh, is this a little bit of avoidance? Is there something that I can um, do? Can I f- shift the frame of reference? And one thing is maybe like in- intentionally increase the energy. You can do this a few ways. You could do it with your body. So you can sit more upright. You can like just have a more um, alert posture. Or you could go as far as to shift your posture and to stand up and to do standing meditation, which, you know, of course, takes a little more energy, or even walking meditation, something. Open your eyes, these types of things. But also with the mind, you can do something, too, to increase the energy. And one is to, if you're um, doing mindfulness of breathing, for example, is to bring, be mindful of a few more objects. So maybe the in-breath, then feel the pressure of the chair on your body, out breath, feel your feet on the ground, or you know, just and then, or this, or it could be in breath, uh, body, feet, out breath, hearing, in breath, body, feet, out breath, hearing. So not in a way that you're frantic, but in a way that just requires a little more um, energy to be with it. Striving, too much striving. Or it's opposite, complacency, like, oh, just kind of not doing it. Can, complacency of not really engaging with the practice. Both of these can also contribute to it. And then maybe I'll um, say this last thing. Often sloth and torpor is a diffuse feeling. Unlike, for example, restlessness, which can feel like a really energetic thing, these can be really diffuse. But because they're diffuse doesn't mean we can't be as mindful of them. We often have this assumption and this habit that we think that mindfulness has to make things crystal clear and sharp and distinct. But we can be mindful of diffuse things also. And it's a great practice to kind of like, oh, okay, this is fogginess. And just like, what does fogginess feel like? So maybe I'll end there, right? We're kind of, that was a really quick thing on Sloth and Torpor, but uh, there's a handout that is a little bit more. And do you have anything you'd like to add, Tonya? Um, are you, so to, should we, do you want to do any more summary of key points or? Um, I thought I, I have a few more that I wanted to say about that, but I didn't know if you had something you wanted to add to Sloth no, and Torpor. Ahead. Go ahead. So maybe I'll tie together doubt and sloth and torpor a little bit. Sometimes doubt, if we're unsure, uncertain, can lead to inactivity. We just feel overwhelmed. And that collapsing of energy can also support the same collapsing of energy that happens with sloth and torpor. Doubt doesn't always lead there, but it can. It can lead to like, well, I don't know what to do. I guess I'm going to do nothing or not do anything, right? That kind of a feeling. And then also to highlight with doubt that there's doubt that's a hindrance, but then there's also doubt that's really useful. We're not asking you to just believe what we tell you. 
We're asking you, check it out. See if it's true for you. Investigate. Feel. What is, does it feel right? Does your intuition seem it's true? Talk to other people. Read Dharma books. Listen to Dharma talks. Those types of things. But doubt that is a hindrance when it kind of leads to inactivity. This feeling of being stuck. Whereas doubt that's questioning doubt kind of leads to, hmm, I don't know, let's check it out. That's like a completely different way of being, and that's healthy. It should be cultivated. And then, as I mentioned briefly, doubt can masquerade as wisdom. And sloth and torpor, and succumbing to sloth and torpor, can masquerade as self-care. So it requires some kind of thinking or you know investigation about what is this wisdom or is this doubt? Am I taking care of myself? Am I having compassion for myself? Or am I just saying, well, I, I feel like taking a nap. I'm going to do it. And often we don't know the answer to these until we take a nap and realize, oh, I guess I really didn't need one. right? So we figure out the answers by making lots of mistakes. That's probably the only way you can figure this out is by making mistakes on this. And then maybe I'll end with mindfulness, just being aware of what's really happening and bringing a certain sense of curiosity is a way to work with these hindrances as well as with all hindrances. Somehow just noting like, oh, here's doubt. Oh, there's sloth and torpor. Here's restlessness. Here's ill will. Here's desire. Just noting them can do, go a long way in taking away the power, the authority. Sometimes it'll, it's enough to make them go away. Not always, but sometimes. It's more important to know it's present than to try and know what you need to do about it. Yeah. More yeah. important to know it. This is doubt. This is restlessness. This is worry. This is sloth. This is clear mindfulness. This is wise attention. This is the path. This is the practice. So you're not supposed to sit down and meditate and have everything be all blissful and easy and fine. That's not... Don't try and make that happen. Try and bring clarity and wisdom to what's there, to recognize it. So it's 9.02. I want to respect your time and will let you go. But uh, Tanya and I will stay up here uh, if you have some questions. And I think many of you saw we have a little rainbow of handouts uh, back there. You're welcome to be there or take what for if you weren't here for the earlier weeks. And I'm going to try to get them uploaded too that will be with these talks. The last four talks have just been uploaded and I'm going to upload this one now so that you'll find they weren't earlier but they are now little series we put up there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.